When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome in to another special edition of the What's Right with Nick Wright podcast and YouTube show, the fourth part of our continuing series, the 50 greatest players of the last 50 years in the NBA. We get to players 39 through 35 today. If you haven't listened or watched the previous episodes, I highly recommend you do so. The first episode, we lay out the rules, the parameters, who was too old to make the cut, and the honorable honorable mentions, the guys who just missed. And then we next few episodes, we get through players 50, through 40. As I said, today are players 39 through 35, and it's a perfect little quintet of players because player 39 is not a controversial inclusion, but incredibly difficult to rank, and player 35. Also, I don't believe we a controversial inclusion, but maybe the single most difficult player to rank, but they are difficult to rank for very different reasons. So we will start with number with player number 39, one of the older players on the entire list. Player 39 is none other than Bill Walton. Number 39, Bill Walton. Bill Walton is a two-time NBA champion. He won the 1978 NBA MVP and finished second the previous year. However, he is only one-time first-team All-NBA, only one-time second-team All-NBA. He did win a rebounding title, a blocks title, and later in his career, a sixth man of the year. And as you can see, two-time all-defense. So he started his career as the way he finished his college career, as one of the greatest players ever. Unfortunately for him, a foot injury derailed everything. But at the beginning of his career, he walked into the league and was instantly dominant, as you can see, not only from the MVP in the second place the previous year, but what he did in those NBA Finals in 1977, the year before he won league MVP, he won finals MVP. 28 and 20 in his first finals game ever. 20, 23, 7, and 8 to win the title. Game six, closeout game. He averaged 19, 19, 5, and 4 for the series. And at that point, it looked like, okay, Bill Walton is going to be one of the 10, 12 greatest players in basketball history. Unfortunately for him, it never came close to that again. For that entire championship run, he was 18, 15, 6, and 3. And then 
the injuries ruined him. Now, to his credit, he was a valuable role player for what some people believe the greatest team ever, the 86 Celtics. He averaged 18 minutes per game for them in their playoff run. So he was a part of that, but he was not even close to a leading part of that. And so Walton is incredibly tough because we know how hot the fire burned in the beginning. We know it wasn't an outlier because of what he did in college. And by the way, like college doesn't matter for these lists, but it adds context for Bill Walton. And Demonze is going to join me in a moment for some a Bill Walton question. But I, you know, I know you don't know much about Walton. I'm certain you don't know much about his college career. It should be noted, Bill Walton started his college career going 73 and up. A 73-game winning streak for UCLA to start his college career. He played three years, because back then you couldn't play as a freshman. He was player of the year all three years. The first two years when he won the national championship, well, the first two years he won the national championship. He was Final Four MVP both years. And the one year he didn't win the national championship, he lost in double overtime to NC State by two points. So he really could have gone three for three in college. He's the second greatest college player ever. And for his second national championship, he went 21 of 22 in the national championship. 21 of 22 from the field for 44 points. So he was that player in college. Then in the pros, he almost immediately was an MVP caliber player, won a title with the Blazers, was finals MVP. The numbers were insane. Again, 20-23, seven assists, eight blocks to win his first championship. And then foot injuries ruined him. So he's hard to rank. I have to use full context. I have him at number 39. What's your Bill Walton question? Let me get this straight. Okay. At 39, you've got a center with one MVP award. Yeah. Uh, known for his passing and creativity. Yeah. Sounds a lot like Jokic to me. Okay. You know, how, how can you like Walton so much, but yet hate Jokic so much? Okay, I don't hate Jokic. I just thought he shouldn't have won MVP last year. And by the way, by the time you guys hear this, Jokic might have two MVPs. And if he does end up winning this year's MVP, then he probably deserves a spot somewhere in the lower 40s on this list. But the reason that I can justify it is because Jokic doesn't have anything close to the finals MVP and the championship. Forget Walton's second championship. If Jokic had had carried a team to the NBA finals, had carried a team to a championship, it's a totally different ballgame. Instead, Jokic has had one career playoff run where he went past round two and he got annihilated by Anthony Davis. And so because of that, I don't, yes, Jokic is the best passing center since Walton. And Jokic is building a resume that if I were to do this in 25 years, and I did the 25 best player, or the 75 best players of the last 75 years, then Jokic is building a resume to be on. But as of this moment, we're recording this. He has one MVP, no super deep playoff runs, and hasn't done enough. Walton, to my eye, had done more, and Walton was a better player. I mean, Walton, the injuries kill him, which is why he's as low as he is, but Walton deserves to be number 39. If you didn't know much about number 39, you definitely don't know anything about number 38. Number 38, Bob McAdoo. All right, some respect for the old-timers in Bob McAdoo. So here's what Bob McAdoo was able to do. He also, by the way, like Walton, was only one-time first-team All-NBA 
and one-time second-team All-NBA. However, he came into the league, and by year three, I'm sorry, by year two, he had a three-year stretch where he either won the MVP or came in second. He went MVP in 75, second place in 74, second place in 76, and rookie of the year in 73. He was a three-time scoring champ, averaging 32 per game, years two through four. And as you can see, from 1974 to 1979, averaged 29 and 13. The problem for McAdoo is the lack of championships as the best guy, but it doesn't kill him that much because of what he was able to do in the postseason. His first playoff series ever, which is in year two, he has two 40-point games. He averaged, the year he won MVP, 1975, which was his third year, he averaged 37 and 14 in a playoff series against Elvin Hayes and the Bullets, an excellent Bullets team that a few years later would go on and win a championship. He averaged 37 and 14 against them. He In that series, he had 34 points in every single game and put up a 50 and 21. Again, this is year three, the year he won the MVP. During that three-year peak, while his team never won a championship, never made the finals, he averaged in the playoffs 32 and 14 in 46 minutes per game. In his first, and then he changed, changes teams, goes to the Knicks. First playoff game ever with the Knicks, 41 points. And then he eventually goes to the Lakers. 82 Lakers, nobody thinks about Bob McAdoo, but he was important. So he ends up winning two titles with the Lakers. One could argue the reason they didn't win the 84 title was because McAdoo got hurt. He gets hurt in game six of the 84 finals, or else maybe they win that series. But in 86, he was just a role player. But in 82, he was an important player for that team. Magic wins finals MVP. But to get into the finals, to clinch his first career finals berth, as a, not a role player, but not the leading guy on the team with Magic and Kareem, he's 26-8 and eight in the Western Conference finals in the final game to clinch the finals berth. In those finals, he averaged 16-5. and five. So an important piece on a championship team. And if we want to add a little bonus, after the, winning the title in 86 as a role player, he went to Europe and won two EuroLeague titles. A true professional scorer who, again, walked into the league and by year two was a top two MVP candidate for three straight years and a scoring champ for three straight years. Player number 38 is Bob McAdoo. I believe we have a question about Bob McAdoo. Let's hear it. Nick, you know, as the wise elder statesman at First Things First, your tutor oftentimes, I'm glad to see you giving some love to my man, Bob McAdoo. McAdoo can do. That's what we used to say back in the day. Kind of a precursor to Kevin Durant. To be honest, obviously not as good as Durant, but very much uh, 6'9 at that time, stepping out, hitting the jump shot, could take you off the bounce as well. But I got to be honest, I don't think I'd have him ahead of Dwight Howard and Anthony Davis, uh, especially Dwight, who obviously led a team to the finals 26 and 13 against LeBron, beating LeBron when they had, I believe, the best record in the league. But outside of that, I love you giving love to McAdoo can do. All right, Brew, listen, those are fair points. And Brew obviously knows his NBA history. And I love that he's being a part of this with us. My art, and I don't have McAdoo far ahead of Dwight and AD. It's like four or five spots ahead of him. My argument would be 
Dwight and AD have both come close to winning league MVPs. Bob McAdoo won it and finished second two other times. And as, as dominant as their peaks were, I think McAdoo's was a touch more dominant, certainly on the offensive end, not, obviously not on the defensive end. But it's not a bad argument that he's making. But I think McAdoo was a touch, had a touch more impressive career than Dwight Howard did, assuming Dwight's career is basically over. And then Anthony Davis has up to this point. If Anthony Davis doesn't eventually pass Bob McAdoo, something went terribly wrong. But there's player number 38, Bob McAdoo. Come right back with player 37, who's someone all of you remember for a finals loss. But do you remember how important he was in a finals victory? We'll do that next. All right, welcome back in to What's Right with Nick Wright podcast special 50 best players of the last 50 years edition. This is our fourth episode in this edition. We are already to player number 37, so let's waste no more time. An all-time player who I think it gets a couple moments of his career have been forgotten to history by many people that even consider themselves NBA fans. Number 37, Clyde Drexler. So he's one-time first-team All-NBA, two-time second-team All-NBA, two-time third-team All-NBA. He almost won MVP in 1992, but Michael Jordan did that year. He also he also almost won the title, but Michael Jordan did more on that in a moment. He has one other top five MVP finish. Where I say people forget things about Clyde, people remember him losing to Jordan in the finals. And they remember, ah, yeah, he was on one of those Rockets champions. Okay. What I don't know if they remember is before he lost to Jordan in the finals, he led the Portland Trailblazers to the 1990 NBA finals where they lost to Detroit. Well, you know, the bad boy Pistons who could have won three titles in, in a row. It lost to Isaiah Thomas. No shame in that. So 1990, Clyde's the best player on a finalist. 1992, Clyde is the best player on a finalist. And let's talk about how he did in those finals. In the finals loss to Detroit, a Detroit team that up to that point in time had truly bedeviled Michael Jordan, Clyde averaged for those finals 26, 8, and 6. So yeah, Detroit won in 5, but it was not because Clyde didn't do his thing. 26, 8, and 6 against the bad boy Pistons in the finals in 1990. Then two years later, against Chicago and Michael Jordan, the defending champion Chicago Bulls. What does Clyde do in those finals? 25, 8, and 5 in those finals to Chicago. And that postseason, he was 26, 7, and 7. Now, as you'll see throughout this series, sometimes for postseason accomplishments, I talk about individual monster games. Clyde didn't have a ton of monster games in the postseason. He only had a handful of 40-point games. He was just incredibly consistent. He had so few stinkers, if you will, that despite not having a bunch of the 38, 42, 44-point explosions, he still had a career playoff averages of 27 and 6, which were all slightly better than his career regular season averages. So he's a guy who was actually better in the postseason than he was in the regular season. And as you saw earlier in the regular season, he came at, you know, he was an MVP candidate, a legitimate MVP candidate for a few years. But I'm still leaving out one finals appearance. And before I talk about that finals appearance, let me bring in our friend Rick Buecher, who wants to ask about 
Clyde Brooks. Phenomenal athlete Clyde, on the level of Jordan, but game fundamentally was not as refined. I just wonder, Nick, if you would look at him the same way if he hadn't gone to Houston and won a championship with Hakeem, because that was a matter of being in the right place at the right time and had more to do with Hakeem's ascension than Clyde's. Okay, so this is where, with respect to Rick, he's just wrong. And it was, so in those finals, that if we're talking about the finals that he won against Shaq and the young Orlando Magic, the what could have been Orlando Magic, in those finals, Clyde averaged 22, 10, and 7. He was the clear-cut second-best player for the Rockets. But that undersells how important he was. It's not just that they were the sixth seed in large part because they didn't get Clyde until later in the year, and they went all the way to winning the title. But if you remember that Rockets team was, they faced elimination a number of times throughout the postseason, and then came through. So how did they come through? I mentioned before, Clyde didn't have a bunch of monster playoff moments. Maybe his best playoff game ever, one could argue, 41-9-6, facing elimination in round one against Utah to keep the season alive. So game five, must win, facing elimination in Utah, 31-10 and 10, in, a, in 47 minutes in a four-point victory. The very next round, Houston falls down 3-1 to one to Phoenix and Barkley. What does Clyde do there? Game seven of that series, 29-8 and eight in 41 minutes in a one-point victory. So... The idea that Clyde was just right place, right time, it's not true. And then in the finals, I told you, he was 20, 22, 10, and 7. So he was incredibly important. So yeah, he wasn't as, I mean, Rick said he wasn't Michael Jordan. Yeah, I know. Michael Jordan, I, I know this is going to shock you. Michael Jordan's going to show up in the top three on this thing. Now, where is he going to be in the top three? Who knows? But he's going to show up in the top three. I got Clyde. Where do I have Clyde? At 37? So yeah, there's a gap there. But the idea that Clyde was just right place, right time, if he's not on that Rockets team, they don't win the title. He absolutely deserves credit for it. And one other thing to my friend Rick Buecher, because Rick is contributing questions, DeMondze's contributing questions, of course, also Chris Broussard's contributing questions. In a, in a clip we didn't end up using that was about a different player, Brew went on a little tangent about that player's ranking in comparison to Clyde the Glide Drexler I echo everything you're about to hear from Chris Broussard. So in other words, Rick, it's two to one, Nick and Broussard against you. So we're right, you're wrong. Here's Brew on Clyde before we move on. Clyde led the Blazers without a perennial all-star teammate to three straight trips to the Western Conference Finals and two appearances in the NBA Finals. Lost to the great Isaiah Thomas and of course, Michael Jordan. Then goes in teams with Elijah Wan, fits in, Plays well, is an all-star, 20 points a game, and a ring. Clyde, don't get enough love, my man, including on your list. Now, the player number 36, who never sniffed the title, which is why he's not higher than this. Number 36, George Gervin. So Gervin, five-time first-team All-NBA, which is remarkable. Two-time second-team All-NBA, and... He played in the ABA in the beginning of his career, two-time All-ABA second team. You're seeing it right there. Four times he's top five MVPs, and those happened all in a row. Four years in a row, he's top five in, in MVP voting. 
and two, two times he came in second. Four-time scoring champ. And this is a fun one that Demonze, maybe, I don't know if we'll ever see this again quite like this. George Gervin and David Thompson going into the final day of the season were essentially virtually tied for the scoring title. David Thompson scored 72 to try to win the scoring title. Gervin needed, I think, in the high 50s to win it. Did you see this game? Did I see this game? No, this is before I was born. This is well before I was born. So George Gervin sees Thompson score 72. He goes out and scores 63 points in only 33 minutes. Didn't even play in the fourth quarter. That was how he won his first scoring title. For his career, George Iceman Gervin, 25 points per game. That is 10th all-time. And, you know, our list is not all-time. It's the last 50 years. Of the last 50 years, it's fifth all-time, behind only Jordan, LeBron, Durant, and Iverson. So why wouldn't he be higher? He's not higher because he never won in the playoffs. But when you dig into it, he's smeared with the, ah, the guy never won. How much are we blaming? So let's go into it. For his career, he averaged 27 points per game in the playoffs. In the playoffs, which is top 10 all time. In, in, in the ABA, let's go to the ABA. Facing elimination. Drops a 42 and 17. And then a 30 in 1975 to avoid elimination. But then they lose the next game and they're out. The next year, they're facing elimination again. Drops a 37 and 14 to avoid elimination, but then they lose the next game and they're out. He lost his first six career playoff series, but then finally gets a playoff series victory. And then 1979, they're in the Eastern Conference semis against Dr. J. He puts up a 33, 12, and 5 to eliminate Dr. J. Put up the very next round, 42 and 6 to get up 3 1 on the Bullets because this was a weird time. When the bullet, when the San Antonio Spurs were in the Eastern Conference, they'd play Philly, and then the Bullets. They then moved to the West. That doesn't matter. He puts up forty-two and six to go three-one on the Bullets in the Eastern Conference Finals. He puts up another forty-two and six in Game Seven, but they lose by two, and he never makes the finals. For that series, he averaged thirty-one and six. They lose to the Bullets again, a Bullets team that we mentioned earlier would go to back-to-back NBA Finals and win one championship. 82 gets back to the conference finals. This time he's in the Western Conference Finals against those 82 Lakers we were just talking about a few minutes ago that had Magic and Kareem and Bob McAdoo. He averages in those Western Conference Finals 32, 8, and 6, and he's swept. Swept. And then the very next year, he loses to the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals again, and that's it. So he got to the Western Conference Finals a few times, never got past there. But how much are we putting on him? Yes, he blew a 3-1 lead with a chance to get to the finals, probably his best chance ever. But he put up 42-6 and six in Game 7, and they lost by two. And so I think he's slightly underrated historically. Let's see what our caller has, or our questioner has, on George Iceman Gervin. Whew. George Iceman Gervin at 34th. Are we giving extra credit for... All-time great posters, because the one with him sitting on the ice blocks is one of the best of all time. But my goodness, he was a scorer, and that's all he was. Phenomenal scorer. Finger roll. Beautiful. But just a scorer. Yeah, but scoring's important. That's the thing. I agree he was mostly just a scorer, but scoring, when you score at that level, when you are one of the 
of the last 50 years, one could argue, 10 greatest scorers ever, it at least gets you firmly in the top 40 of players. So, I mean, he was, Rick's not wrong there that he was a pure scorer, but scoring is the most important part of the game. He did it better than just about anybody ever, aside from a dozen or so guys. So he absolutely deserves his spot at number 36. Now, number 35 is a player that some people would swear must be in the top 20, and some people will swear has to be outside of the top 100. We will do him as our final player on this installment of the 50 greatest players of the last 50 years. He's next. All right, welcome back in. Final segment of today's edition of the 50 greatest players of the last 50 years in the NBA on the What's Right with Nick Wright podcast. Now we are here, player number 35. Number 35, Russell Westbrook. Russ was maybe the single hardest player to rank of this entire uh, enterprise. Because, so Russ's regular season accomplishments are up there with the 12, 15 greatest players ever. Two-time first-team All-NBA, five-time second-team All-NBA, two-time third-team All-NBA. So he's nine-time All-NBA. He won an MVP. Three other times he came in top five. He has two scoring titles and three assist titles. One of the only players in league history, Tiny Archibald, Oscar Robertson, LeBron James, and Russell Westbrook are the only guys to ever do it once. Russ has done it, two scoring titles, three assist titles. Average a triple, averaging a triple-double hadn't been done in 50 years. Russ did it three straight seasons, then took a year off, did it a fourth straight season. He is going to be known for the triple-doubles, so let's dig in there for a moment. He has 194 career regular season triple-doubles as of this recording. That's not only the most all-time, only LeBron, Jason Kidd, Magic, and Oscar Robertson even have 100 career career regular season triple-doubles. Russ is likely going to finish his career well north of 200 career triple-doubles. In the playoffs, he's third all-time in triple-doubles, okay? So that's the good of Russ. We'll get to the bad in a moment, but you guys know how much playoff stuff matters for me on this. It's unfair and disingenuous to act like Russ never had good playoff moments. He did. So let's just, we're going to go in chronological order and we're going to need some time here. In the 2012 finals, the only game the Thunder won in that series, he was 27, 8, and 11 as a kid in the finals. In in game four of those finals, which they lost, he was the best player on his team by a mile with no disrespect to Durant. He was 43, 7, and 5 on 20 of 32 from the field. In game four of those finals, 43-7-5 to try to stay alive instead of falling down 3-1, but they end up losing. For that, for his first finals ever, he's 27, or his only finals, 27-6-7. So we can't act like that, that, that didn't happen. Now let's move on to 2014. 2014, he's 27, 10, and 16 on just 16 shots in game seven of the first round against Memphis. Help them propel them what would have been a disastrous loss for them. In that same year, Western Armored Semis, the next round. You guys remember, everyone remembers the CP3 meltdown game. 
say that the Clippers have the big lead. CP3 tries to draw the foul. He doesn't get it. What gets forgotten is Russ in that game went toe-to-toe with Chris Paul and ate him up. He was 38-5-6 and and got fouled at the very end of the game as the Clippers were melting down, hit all three free throws to win the game. That very next round, Western Conference Finals, the Thunder are down 2-1 to the Spurs. The Spurs would go on to win the title. Russ was 45-10-5. Up to this point, yes, he was a little inefficient, a little careless with the ball, but nobody was killing Russ. So that's 2014. Let's go to 2016. That's the year the 73-win Warriors were down 3-1 to Russ and Katie's Thunder. Let's talk about what he did there. In round one against Dallas, 36-12-9 and to send Dallas home. Average for games five and six of the Western Conference semifinals against the Spurs to send them home. Average 32-7-12 in those two games. So again, it's all going good. To go up 3-1 on the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals, average 27-7-12, including 36-11-11 in Game 4 to go up 3-1. The problem is since then, it's gone real sideways. Since then, since the Klay Thompson game, since that moment, and then KD leaves, it's been bad, and it's been bad in the playoffs for five, six years. So. Round one versus Houston, the first year without Durant, he did have a 51-10-13. and 13, 51, 10 and, A 51 triple-double in the playoffs. Average for the series, 37-12-11. But despite that, they lost in five. Why did they lose in five? Because even though Russ was averaging all those points and assists and rebounds, he shot 39% from the field and 27% from three, and he was shooting 10 threes a game. The next year in the first round uh, against, I think it was Utah, with Paul George, he had a 45-15-7 and seven to stay alive and a 46-10-5 in game six. And if you go back and look at it, that 46-10-5 where they lost, he wasn't good. And that was with Paul George. And then the next year, Dame sends him home and then Paul George leaves. So his career averages for the playoffs are 25-7-8, which are exceptional. And his career playoff percentages are 40% from the field and 30% from three, which are awful. So what do you do with Russell Westbrook? I I still feel like because it's been so bad as of late and this last year with the Lakers was such a disaster, people forget how dominant he was at his peak. Flawed but dominant. The MVP's got to matter. The triple-doubles might have been slightly overrated, but they have to matter to a degree. He was the single hardest player to rank in this entire enterprise. He's player number 35. He's Russell Westbrook. And now we have a surprise questioner. No one has told me who this is. Let's see what the Russell Westbrook question is. Hey, Nick. Your old buddy Al Renato, a.k.a. Al from White Plains here. Russell Westbrook at 35. We love the effort. We love Mr. Triple Double. But Russ at 35? Come on, Nick. You've got James Worthy. Big game James. 10 spots down the list at 45. You have George Gervin, never been to an NBA final, ahead of big game James. You have Gary Payton, who won a NBA title as a parting gift ahead of big game James. You have Sidney Moncrief, who I loved, 
one of the triplets from Arkansas had a big game, James. But Russ at 35, big game, James at 45, one finals appearance for Russ, big game, James, three titles. Most valuable player in one of the great Game 7 performances in the history of the National Basketball Association. His numbers in the postseason leaps and bounds the regular season. This guy got it done when it was the most important time to get it done, while Russ has been a shrinking violet. Move that camera up a little closer in words that I know only you can understand. This old man, he ain't lying. All right, that's the greatest sports radio caller ever, my friend Alan White Plains. Unfortunately, Alan White Plains, instead of really asking me a Russell Westbrook question, he used his time to really just make the case for James Worthy. James Worthy was a hard one to rank as well because we talked about it. If you want to go back and listen to the episodes, James Worthy doesn't have the All-NBAs and the MVP votes and all that stuff because of the team he was on, but he was unbelievable in the biggest moments. So I do understand the, the kind of reversal there. So you have one guy who has all the regular season stuff, all of it, and not a lot of the playoff stuff in Russ. And another guy who has all the playoff stuff, but not a whole lot of the regular season stuff in James. So am I overvaluing the regular season? I would agree, possibly, if A, Russ didn't have any substantial playoff moments. But I think I laid out that early in his career, up until game five of the 2016 playoffs and forward, Game five of the Western Conference Finals, I should say, basically from the moment KD left to now. Up until then, he was actually a very valuable playoff performer. So I, I think that, so I think Russ, let me put it like this. Russ's playoff resume, one can make a strong case, is heftier than James Worthy's regular season resume. And Russ's regular season resume is eye-to-eye with James Worthy's playoff resume. Russ's regular season resume is that of an all-time guy. So again, though, I said at the beginning that Russ was maybe the hardest player to rank. I'm comfortable with Russell Westbrook being the 35th best player of the last 50 years. My God, this thing's going by fast. We're going to finish off, or at least come close to it, the top 30 next week at this time for the 50 greatest players of the last 50 years. Part of the What's Right with Nick Wright podcast series. We'll see you next week.